justified. This episode is proudly sponsored by Herbert Smith Freehills. Herbert Smith Freehills is a leading international law firm engaging with the most important challenges and opportunities facing clients across sectors and services. With 25 offices globally and world-renowned corporate and litigation teams, the firm has an extensive history as leading company advisors with innovative legal operations across regions. To find out more about Herbert Smith Freehills, visit their website at herbertsmithfreehills.com. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land which I am on today, the land of the Darug people, whose cultures and customs have nurtured and continue to nurture this land since the dream time. I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Justified is designed to give law students a chance to better understand the legal profession. And that's why I'm so excited today to be talking to both of our wonderful guest speakers from Herbert Smith Freehills. Today on Justified, I'm joined by our Director of Career Engagement, George Aslanides, as we chat with James Key and Carla Ayu from HSF. Welcome both, and thank you so, so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I have so much to ask the both of you, so we'll jump right into it. First off, just for our listeners to understand who we are and who we're talking with, can you tell us your name, position, and favourite aspect of working at HSF? My name is Carla. Uh, I'm a graduate currently in my third rotation. Uh, And my favourite aspect of working at HSF, the serious answer is the people. Uh, I'm surrounded by brilliant, kind-hearted lawyers who are really passionate about what they do and who are always willing to lend their time to help me and support me in my career. Um, And the not-so-serious answer is I've got to give a shout-out to the carrot cake at the office (laughs) Excellent. Easily one of my favourite aspects of working where I do. Hi, I'm James. I'd like to second that answer. Um, so I'm James. I'm the graduate recruitment manager. Uh, thanks for having us both on. Uh, my favourite aspect of working at HSF is that everyone I come across, partners, lawyers, uh, they're really invested in hiring clerks and grads. And I like that because it makes my job really easy. Mm. What does a typical day of working at HSF actually look like for the both of you? Well, for me, I think no two days ever really look identical. Mm. Um, I'll typically start off my day by having like a quick look through my inbox, maybe figuring out Mm -hmm. what my day might look like. Mm. And then the team that I'm in currently, they've always got a morning check-in and we'll talk about, you know, what we have on our plates for the day. Uh, We use that as an opportunity to let others know if we have capacity to help out with anything. And, you know, we might just have a chat about what's on the news um, anything that's interesting, we might all have a laugh together. Um, and then if I'm in the office that day, we always usually try to duck out for a coffee mm. uh, and then it's back to the desk to start working on my tasks and the sky is really the limit in terms of what I might be doing that day. So things like legal research or helping prepare advices to clients or mm. assisting with students' projects, um, that will really be the bulk of my day other than a lunch break <laughs> with other grads or people from my team do you find yourself working alongside other members of your team often or is it more you're working directly in correspondence with a particular person combination I'd say uh pretty much everything I do is very very collaborative and is collaborative with people um at all levels at all levels of seniority in the team so I might be working directly with a partner and then I might be working in a team with um, the junior solicitors. Uh, there's really mm. no certain way that things might go. And I really enjoy that aspect of the job. Mm. I, I can imagine because I think something that's really appealing to hear about, especially when it comes to HSF, is the fact that everyone does work together. And if one person does have a particularly greater workload, the ability to work alongside other people is I think something that's really really appealing about working in that sort of environment at least for me yeah yeah definitely and that's that's why I really like that my team does have that morning check-in um it's not always you know like 30 minutes or an hour like sometimes it's just a 10 minute chat um but it Mm. gives us all a sense of you know what we've each got going on and like you said it it creates that opportunity to you know understand if someone's really busy you know how might I be able to help them Mm. 
so yeah we're, we're all we're all a team james how about you yeah sure so for me it's slightly different so my team or me and my team we look after the graduate recruitment um and the graduate program so uh, my role is national and I look at kind of national projects. So more recently, kind of things that's involved has been looking at the uh, new PLT structure. Um, so giving graduates a day off for the first uh, three months to focus on completing the PLT, uh, which I, I don't think other law firms do yet. Um, I think, um, and then one of the other projects I was looking at more recently is that we've just kicked off our international secondment program again for grads. Um, so we selected uh, five grads to go on to comments from September for six months uh, to London, Tokyo and to Singapore. And we're actually quite lucky because someone that we selected for that program happens to be on the call at the moment. Fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, James. <laughs> Where are you Smooth, to? <laughs> um, I am going to our London office. And I'll be working in the corporate group over there for six months. So I'm very, very excited. Oh, wow. I didn't know we had such royalty on our call. Oh, my God. It's amazing. <laughs> don't know if I'd quite put it like that. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Was there a much larger level of interest for this program coming out of COVID? Yeah, there, there was lots of interest. So, I mean, since, so we're, so as a firm, uh, we merged, uh, so Freehills merged with Herbert Smith uh, 10 years ago. And since that time, we've been able to facilitate over 1,200 secondments. Mm. Um, yeah, which, which is a huge number. Uh, we've had a grad program running international secondments since 2014. Um, and after COVID, we found that so many grads were interested in going overseas again um and you know we're trying to make up for kind of lost time of people who would have taken time off before they started the grad program to go overseas um so when this opportunity came up we had lots and lots of people apply um and were able to select Carla um as one of our grads to go and that's um it's a pretty cool opportunity so um you know fully paid for by the firm so flights accommodation uh, you see a tax specialist to make sure all your fares are in order um and um yeah, there's um there's the three grads going over to London from Australia, so there's plenty of other people to connect with. Mm. Um, but Carla, I don't think any of those things were what you were looking forward to most, were they? They were definitely some of the things I was looking forward to. <laughs> um, I would just add, you know, the weekend trips. Maybe I'll jump across to Paris every once in a while. That is a that is one benefit, not the benefit, but one benefit. Uh, okay, one of the benefits I see. And one that must be mentioned at all costs. Uh, yeah, I had to drop it in. Come on. Absolutely. If you need any inspiration, all you have to do is look at social media at the moment. I think most people I know have taken the opportunity to go to Europe this summer as well. I know, I know. It's all over my Instagram as well. Yeah. <laughs> um well I guess we'll kind of tip into that's one of the things that differentiates HSF from a lot of other firms but um I guess from a HR perspective James what do you think um what else I guess differentiates HSF from other firms in the legal services market and then we might also get your take on that as a clerk and then a grad Carla yeah sure so I I would say I mean you know that there's a HR answer for this I think when I when I speak to grads and I speak to clerks who want to come and work here I think the things that they say is is probably in Australia we've got that unique combination of having access to that legal domestic work so kind of top of the market work in Australia but then combine that with the international network at the same time and probably having that broader range of offices compared with other firms and it's that combination of the two that are pretty powerful in terms of adding things onto your resume and creating that kind of career path for you to take you off in different directions. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing I'd say is that lots of students want to join us because of probably our commitment to uh, diversity and inclusion. And mm. look, we'll get a chance to speak about that later, hopefully. Um, but, but I really think we're doing some really important work in that space. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's so incredible to see. And from my perspective, uh, as a former clerk and a current graduate, um, just building on what James is saying, it's it's the opportunities that I got in addition to just the day to day work, which was interesting and you know really excellent work in and of itself. I also got the chance to you know be involved in different innovation projects, um, and I've done quite a bit of pro bono work uh, thus far. You know, in only the early stages of my career. Mm -hmm. um, 
And on the point about DNI, you know, I'm on the steering committee of our Australian Multicultural Network. So um, I get quite a bit of responsibility with, you know, managing certain work streams within that. Um, you know, and, and as a young lawyer, that's it's just a fantastic opportunity to, you know, be involved in something that I'm really passionate about. And at the same time, you know, building a network with colleagues who I might not otherwise be interacting with. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned um, pro bono work. I was just kind of wondering what did that look like if you weren't doing a pro bono rotation, how you were getting involved with it throughout as well? Well, there is also the opportunity to do pro bono work um, within certain specialist teams. So um, in a couple of the teams that I've been in so far, I was able to do pro bono work within that specialist area of law. So for example, when I was in real estate, um, I had the opportunity to help advise um, a not-for-profit on, you know, different residential real estate arrangements. So things like that, it, it actually does end up performing as part of my day-to-day. Mm. And one of the things that's uh, really important and um, that we set up from the beginning was that um, pro bono work is counted as the same as billable work. So it counts wow. towards like your like um, like from a like organization point of view, it's the same kind of thing. So we'd expect the same level of work, the same kind of quality to go into that work as we would expect billable work, um, which kind of just sets out how important it to it is to us. Um, and the partners take mm. it very seriously. There's opportunities in every single practice group to get involved. There's, you know, opportunities to do like small research tasks, depending on how much time you have, through to like six months of comments at like the Kingswood Legal Centre, for example, um, and everything in between. I think especially hearing from a lot of other people that have both worked at HSF and are looking to have start their career at HSF, pro bono is something that they definitely all do mention. And the possibility of really... I guess, getting your hands dirty in the field and understanding the ins and outs of how the law works for all people is definitely a factor mm. that, from my experience, students really appreciate about HSF in comparison to other places as well. Yeah, and it's it's a feeling that the the like our, our grads have when they come through that you know they're all really privileged in that they're on this path to becoming a lawyer, and you know so many of them feel that responsibility to give back to those people. Um, who perhaps not as privileged and don't have access to, you know, the, the you know, justice, et cetera. Um, and so it, it's a really important aspect of their role. I think the other thing is that lots of grads will be involved in pro bono matters and will get access to seeing an entire matter through or will have more responsibility in that field than they would in their, in their billable yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really rewarding for people. Carla, is that what you found as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I came to HSF, I, you know, I was a volunteer at a legal centre um, and I was, I was just exposed to, I guess, call it social justice learning in different capacities. And I really wanted to make sure that that could be something that could still be a part of my career, even though I knew I wanted to be a commercial lawyer. Um, so having the ability to do that uh, in a supportive environment at my workplace, it has always been a priority for me. And um, yeah, I feel fortunate that HSF does support that. That's really, really good to hear. And I know that she kind of used some of these terms already, but often when students first hear of how commercial law firms operate, it can take some time to wrap your head around the terminology. And we've already thrown some of these words around, but what does it actually mean to be part of a practice group? I might ask you this first, James. Sure. So in, in a commercial law firm, we would organize ourselves into different practice groups. And when I say ourselves, I would say that each practice group would have a collection of partners, a collection of lawyers, uh, legal support, like paralegals and admin assistants, etc. Um, and each one of those practice groups is usually focused around a specific area of law. So right. for example, employment law or are focused around a specific practice related to commercial law. And that could be, say, for example, banking and finance would be another example. Um, you'll hear these terms used a lot. Um, the thing that you'll find confusing as well, that if you go onto most firms' websites, they won't speak about practice groups. They'll speak about sectors and markets. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have noticed that. Mm -hmm. And that's because internally firms organize through practice groups, but externally, when they go out and speak to clients, they want to talk to them in terms of services. They want to talk to them in terms of sectors. 
because those are the things that the clients will, will think about. So when you write an application, you can focus on a specific practice group or you can focus on a, a service or a sector. Either one is fine. That's really, really interesting. Carla, have you had any particular exposure to any particular practice groups during your time at HSF or? Yeah, I've worked across different practice groups. Um, starting from when I was a clerk, I started in real estate um, and that sits within um, the umbrella of what we call FREP, so finance, real estate and projects. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also worked in disputes as well. So um, sits on a, a different end of the spectrum in terms of uh, litigation versus transactional type work. Um, and I was paralegal in disputes as well. And then as a graduate, uh, I've rotated um, also through corporate too. So I'm in mergers and acquisitions at the moment. Mm. So I've had a very broad exposure to different practice groups at the firm. Okay. And this is actually a brilliant segue because from my experience, I've actually gotten confused between understanding what the difference is between a litigious matter or a transactional matter or even an advisory matter. Um, would you be able to tell us what the difference actually is? Because I think many of our listeners can have some uncertainties about it, just like I have slash do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, like, at a very high level, I think, so starting with litigious work, it's usually a dispute between the parties and then, you know, the court is involved in resolving that dispute. Mm. Um, and then at the other end, transactional is usually deal-based work. So working on a merger or an acquisition or, you know, other types of deals. Um, real estate would also form part of transactional type work. And then you've got advisory matters, which can kind of, you know, sit within the sphere of litigation or within the sphere of transactional work, mm. um, sit entirely on its own, where it's, it's more like research-based type work where you're like responding to a query that a client has. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so it, it kind of sits in a broader sphere in that sense. In terms of practice, I guess, merging the two together, practice groups and all these different um, areas or types of law, will one group be all litigation and all transactional or will they all do, I guess, a little bit of everything? It really depends. So some teams, um, some teams will do all transactional type work. Uh, some teams will do all litigious work and some teams sit in the middle. So uh, for example, uh, if you take corporate, which um, is a collection of teams like mergers and acquisitions or equity capital markets um, or like, um, uh, Carla, this is where you come in and say something. <laughs> you can covered the field. Private equity. Yes, exactly. Um, they will do all transactional work. And then the other end, you've got, say, disputes, which will focus on commercial litigation. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, you'd have a team like employment that does a bit of both. Okay. So it's at this stage, I mean, for the purpose of applying for a clerkship, I would, I would think about areas that you are potentially interested in um, and write your application with an area in mind that you are interested in, but frame it in a way that this is based on what I know so far, this has piqued my interest and this is why, and this is how it's linked back to something that I've done. But I'm really interested to learn about all the other ones. Because once you start your clerkship, you will rotate through two different teams. Mm -hmm. You might come back as a paralegal in a third team. And then by the time you get to the grad program, it's another three rotations. So you could end up seeing five or six different teams before you then have to make a decision about where you want to specialize. Um, and when we ask grads what they're trying to achieve on the program, most grads are saying, I want to work out what type of lawyer I want to be. Mm. So don't feel any pressure to have that sorted by now. Like as long as you can demonstrate an interest in a specific area to start off with, yeah. I think that, that that's enough for the purpose of an application and the clerkship process and then work out the rest once you get on board. 
Right. And I guess that that kind of leads me to um, the next question in terms of one of my own personal interests and, and one of the big focuses that HSF has on innovation with practice groups such as the digital law um, group. I know that you have the fantastic Susanna Wilkinson as the digital head of. How can clerks get involved in work within this space? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a couple of different ways. So we run, every clerkship, we run Innovation Labs, which is where people from our legal operations and innovation team will come and present to the clerks and we'll give them a range of different projects that they can be involved in. So, for example, a couple of years ago, one of the projects was to, um, was to do a sense check and was to survey the grads' experiences of working from home because this was the, you know, partway through the lockdowns, et cetera, as the first time grads were working from home and then came up with a list of recommendations from that. We took those recommendations to the section heads or the heads of the different practice groups and we were able to make changes based on their recommendations. Mm. Um, another project they've been involved in more recently is in Melbourne, we just had clerks come through and the project that was set for them <clears throat> was how do how does the legal profession better engage with students to teach them about the profession? And they came up wow. with a whole list of different ideas on how they could do that, intersecting between things that students are interested in, where students kind of hang out, like online, for example, and things that we have to teach students. And they came up with a list of recommendations. And I'd say watch this space over the next 12 months because that's pretty much my marketing strategy now. <laughs> um, from, um, from the digital law point of view, um, we also offer some comments and projects into the digital law team. So last year, Clarks were given the opportunity to work one day a week in the digital law team for different project research projects that they had. Mm -hmm. um, so we had lots of things come up last year to do with say, um, so, um, like blockchain to do with like cryptocurrency. Uh, we had a lot of things around DAOs come up as well. Um, there was a um, uh, there was a deal last year, I believe, involving Penfold Wine, where we were creating an NFT for a barrel of wine, and we had wow. grads work on that that work as well. Carla, not to put you on the spot, did, did you have any experience in the digital law group? Not the digital law group. Um, in particular, I was involved in one of the innovation labs when I was a clerk um, and we were working on a, a project that was aiming to streamline due diligence projects. Wow. So, yeah, that, that one was really interesting. And that, that was um, that kind of involved surveying like different teams on you know, what aspects of due diligence could be automated. Um, so the firm was really looking into the process of how we could make that more efficient for lawyers because there are aspects of it that can be automated and you know different in-house tools I think have been developed or and or are in the process of being developed um, to yeah help lawyers draft due diligence reports or review particular documents. Mm. And do you remember what um, was it Jamila talking about on the multiculturalism network the other day about their planned event? That's still in the works. Okay, we'll, we'll save that for the next podcast episode. Yes. So, yeah, that's a TBC. TBC, perfect. Sammy and Georgia, you're going to have to invite us back to find out more about that one. So, no, no complaints here. I find it really, really interesting always hearing about the intersection between technology and law because it's such a new space and everyone's still kind of getting a feel for what it actually turns out to be. And I know one of my friends, and I, I kid you not, he can never stop talking about all the things that HSF does in the field of digital law. And he throws around the words blockchain and cryptocurrency more times than any man I've ever met. So I know it is definitely an appealing point for clerks and potential clerks at HSF. So it's really interesting to hear all those insights. No, it's fantastic. He writes articles um, for HSF and then he sends it around to all of us in the group chat. <laughs> He goes, guys, this will be incredible. And then he's got to give like a little glossary of what the terms even mean, but very passionate about it. Mm -hmm, definitely. Before we move on, we now have a quick advertisement from our sponsor, Herbert Smith Freehills. At Herbert Smith Freehills, the firm strives to be a leading global law firm for diversity and inclusion. 
from bold and ambitious targets to drive gender diversity across leadership to improving representation and developing a global approach to mental health and well-being, an inclusive workplace is a key imperative at Herbert Smith Freehills. To find out more, visit their website at herbertsmithfreehills.com. Now, as we dive into the world of clerkships at HSF, James, I actually want to ask you this to gain an HR perspective. What is a clerkship, first of all, and what does the application process entail? And this is the most critical part of the question. How do you pronounce that term? Clerkship or clerkship? <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll start with the easy one. So I go with clerkship, but I'm not going to judge you if you say clerkship. So it is entirely up to you. I'm very open-minded when it comes to the pronunciation of that word. So um, in terms of what it is though, it is, I think I'd think about it in terms of a, like a 10 week internship. Mm. Um, so it is for most law firms in Australia, it is the main way in which they recruit their graduates. Mm. And so for most law students, if you want to get a graduate role at a law firm, you would start with a clerkship. Um, right. In Sydney, that's 10 weeks uh, across the summer. Uh, typically, most law firms would offer two rotations through different teams. So practice groups, as we were talking about earlier, you can put in your preferences for different groups. So you might want to do one transactional and one litigious. Mm. Um, and then where possible, we'll try to accommodate both of your preferences. Um, the application process is open at the moment. So the, um, the deadline for applications is the 10th of July for most firms, but it will differ firm to firm. So make sure you check those websites. The process is, is pretty similar across most of the firms. So it would be two interviews. Um, and alongside those two interviews, there will be various events, um, various events such as a, a information evening so a networking evening essentially and then another one at the end of the process um, in terms of getting to that stage there is an application process it will differ firm to firm there's some actually um, there's some interesting um, uh, interesting different accounts now uh, they've started summarizing all the different questions that all the different firms ask oh. Um, oh. clerkship ready i think um, Google that if you haven't already. They make a really good spreadsheet that makes it really easy to see all the questions that all the firms ask. Um, and I'd recommend that as a good starting point. Um, yeah, and then the application, CV, resume, um, answer to short questions, academic transcript. Okay, and you, you mentioned there were two interviews in the application process. And I, I assure you, the date 10th of July is firmly etched into the brains of many of our listeners. Um, were these interviews with other members of different groups or how did they actually work? How about I let Carla answer that question from someone who's actually gone through that experience? Absolutely. Um, so both of the interviews that I had, the two interviews that I had, were each with a different partner. Um, mm -hmm. And it was really surprisingly an informal conversation or that's what it felt like you know obviously um the partner that I was talking to had my application in front of them and you know we would kind of run through my resume and maybe some of my responses to the written questions in the application process but um it was largely just a conversation that felt like they wanted to get to know me um and mm. it wasn't a test of you know, how much I knew about the law um, or any, you know, really difficult soul-searching questions. It was really just, you know, is, is what I put in my application authentic and true? And um, could I speak to the experiences that I'd written about? I had fun, which is such a <laughs> to say, and I don't want that to sound disingenuous, but it was, it was genuinely a good process. Fair enough. Were you, I guess also that might be a good time to ask about going into the interview. Was there, I guess, a little bit of nerves and, and preparation that you could do for it? Or it was very much kind of walking in and then seeing where they took the conversation? I, it was a combination of both, I think. I, I was obviously a nervous wreck before each interview. I will be very honest about that. Um, <laughs> I think like most people, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I, I wanted to do a good job, you know, whatever that means in an interview context. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I did some research. Uh, I had done, you know, quite a bit of research about the firm and, you know, I could speak to certain things, but I also half had in mind that I just wanted to go in and, you know, hopefully let my interviewer lead the conversation and, you know, just have a conversation. And that's what it was. Absolutely. And I guess going back to the initial stages of that application, when you're submitting the cover letter and the resume, um, there's a great deal of speculation amongst students about how significant academics are um, and your transcript, as well as um, professional experience. If you've worked in a law firm beforehand, um, when you are applying for clerkships, what does HSF specifically look for in its applicants? Yeah, sure. So we, we definitely get this question a lot um, on campus and, and, and I can understand why. Um, in terms of what we look for, and, and this will be a um, the answer you're kind of expecting, but also a little bit frustrating, in that it's really a mix of skills and experiences. Um, at this stage of people's career and it's time when they're applying for a clerkship, people have still had such a variety of different experiences they've developed in different ways. They have got skills that they have picked up from different roles, different extracurricular activities. They have got like different academic records. And there's not really two things that I'd pick that I'd say that every candidate must have. It's usually a combination of those that make someone a really interesting candidate to us. And when we recruit and when we bring people through for the clerkship, what we want is actually like a mix of skills and experiences. Because if we hired all the same type of person, that would make us a very narrow grad cohort. And that actually mean that we wouldn't be able to deliver like as many different say client outcomes as possible because our skill set is all quite narrow. And I say that now and you're nodding and I can see you both nodding and Carla's kind of <laughs> nodding. But you, you, won't actually, you won't actually believe me until you get here. Um, and then you'd be like, oh yeah, actually that story did kind of check out. But at the moment you think it's a bit of like HR um, speak and, and that's okay. And, and I would too. Um, I think, um, you know, the grades, for example, people say, um, you, you know, do you have a grade cut off? And I say, no, we read every single application. And I know we read every single application because I read those applications. Um, when it comes to grades, I think one of the things we've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years, right, is that someone's like WAM, for example, or GPA, it never tells the full story. Just that one figure, it never tells the full story. There's so much more to that candidate than just that figure. Absolutely. And we would be so, we would be so, we like, we have to take a broad view on this. Otherwise, we are not, we're going to miss out on good people. And how we try to take a broad view on this is a couple of ways. So one, we are super interested in the progression of your grades. So in the application, we're going to ask you, and if you've started, you might already see this. We're going to ask you for your GPA or WAM every single year of your uni degree so that we can see how that's progressed over time. So, you know, accepting the fact that when people get to uni, you know, for a whole host of different reasons, perhaps that first year isn't the kind of academic performance you want it to be. Perhaps you're getting used to the grading system. Perhaps you're working part-time. Perhaps, you know, you're balancing other things, right? But then if we can start to see how that picks up over time, we can take that into consideration. The second thing is we're going to specifically ask you, is there anything that could have contributed to these grades you want to tell us about? And this could be things like COVID. This could be things like working a part-time job. This could be any, and don't just be limited by the examples we've listed. This could be anything you want in that box that can help us understand that background. So that when we review your application, we're not just looking at one grade or one like, like, one like single score that kind of sums you up entirely. We want to see as much of that picture as possible. And we're relying on you guys to help us with that information. No, I think that's incredibly comforting to hear. I know there are a few, um, I, I know my my entry into university did not start off. Um, um, absolutely amazing. So it's it's nice to hear that there's, I guess the the knowing that there's there's a lot of things that happen along the way throughout your law degree as well as I've got a few friends that do quite stress about the fact that they don't have any um, legal experience before mm. entering a clerkship. So I think that's also a, um, quite I guess quite a big concern as well. But knowing that there is that variety that you do you do want at the end um, is definitely comforting for a lot of people who are applying at the moment. And 
we are, of course, and I'm, I'm really hoping both of you agree, um, we are a lot more than the subjects we take and the units we study in university. And I think it's really interesting to always see the, the class that end up going to HSF, how everyone is so unique and they all have such a variety of experience. It's really nice to see that the firm does have such a holistic outlook, especially when hiring these clerks and grads. Now, James, I know you mentioned this earlier and it's finally time that we talk about it now. Diversity and inclusion is a very strong focus at HSF with the firm having multiple diversity networks. And it is so, so important for firms to value these things. So I'm really curious to hear how does HSF actually value um, diversity, not only within the firm, but also within the clerkship process in particular? Sure. So this could be quite a big answer. Um, I'll focus on a few things in the recruitment process. So um, it, it is my job. Um, so is the, I guess the owner of the process, what I'm thinking about is how do we make the process more inclusive? How do I reduce some of those barriers to entry that people may face in their, that recruitment process? Um, and some of the work we've been doing over the last 12 to 18 months with all of the different, um, the various uh, diversity networks has been to reduce those barriers. Mm. And some examples of that. So uh, for example, uh, last year we mandated anti-racism training for all of our interviewers um, as part of our 10 actions for change as our commitment to becoming an anti-racist organization. Um, last year, we also partnered with the uh, Australian Human Rights Commission Includability Network to uh, increase the opportunities for students and, and people with disabilities. Uh, we also launched a global adjustments policy last year to try to make sure that students with a disability applying for HSF were able to fully participate and we could make the adjustments that we needed to help level that playing field. Mm -hmm. um, we have done things with the Veterans Network. So one of the things we found was that when veteran, when candidates, uh, or candidates who had experience in the military were applying, we, we weren't necessarily in a position to fully understand their experience. So when someone applied to us from that type of background, we shared their details with someone from the Veterans Network who was able to help translate that experience to us and give us that context of the types of things they would have achieved in that role. Nice. And then that helped us be able to bring more people through for interview because we're able to like look at it from a skills point of view. Um, and, and there's lots of little things like that that we keep trying to do along the way um, just to try to make the process as, as uh, inclusive as possible. Um, we work with an organization called Rare, which I think a few other law firms do as well, um, in terms of making sure we have the full context of when people apply. Um, you, you can Google that as well. That, that's a really cool system. Um, yeah, and then, and then as I said, kind of working with the, um, the networks and, um, you, you know, it's, I think I can come at it from a recruitment point of view, but then people who join the networks as clerks and as grads, they have lived experiences of going through the process from different backgrounds and they're the ones who can tell us, hey, you can make the process more inclusive by doing that. And it's really important that we keep that feedback loop going so that we can continue to update our, our processes. And Carla, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you're on the steering committee of the Australian, I, I will get this wrong, but I will attempt it, the Australian Multicultural Association or, or something like that. Could you tell us about that, that experience and, and what kind of things you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Australian Multiculturalism Network, I'm on the steering committee. Um, I'm one of the members of the steering committee. And uh, what we do is we're essentially leading different projects um, that center around cultural diversity and creating spaces, creating additional spaces to talk about cultural diversity. Um, so, you know, we from an educational lens, um, I'm currently involved in setting up what we're calling lunchtime learning sessions um, where, you know, we have different topics um, within you know the sphere of cultural diversity and cultural biases um, and that we're gonna we're gonna talk about and we're gonna present on. Um, and then you know we also have an initiative called Culture Over a Cuppa, um, where it's it's basically just like an hour um, out of a month where people from you know all places in the firm come and also talk about uh, a different you know relevant cultural topic. Um, and then we have presenters who come in as well and speak to us um, about their lived experiences. Um, so it's it's a wide variety of things that we do and it's just about creating spaces. Fantastic. It seems like it's, I guess, constantly learning, which I think is always um, 
always a, a big value to have. Um, well, I guess after speaking about diversity and inclusion and applications, this, this does go to um, one of the biggest pieces of advice as you do hear throughout this process, which is everyone does say to be yourself um, throughout the process, but I guess we just wanted to kind of ask what does that translate to? What does that mean as you're going through the process within the cover letter and, and the interviews? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with this one. I think there's a couple of different dimensions to this. I think I think when people say be yourself, it, it, it captures like a lot of different things. Um, one of the things I think that's really, that is really trying to focus on is when you're writing your application, when you talk about the things that you're interested in, when you focus on your skills and experience, it's about starting from a position of this is what I have. Like this is what I bring to the table. This is what I'm interested in rather than starting at the other end, which is what do I think they want to hear? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the first thing. Um, and I think the second thing in terms of, you know, being being yourself or, you know, whatever kind of version of that that means, I think it's that the temptation when you're going through the recruitment process is to, when you, you meet people, is to be like more of a, I guess, um, um, like if there's like a scale and one end of the scale, there's like you with your friends, you with your family, like, like that kind of like true version of yourself. On the other end, you've got this kind of corporate version of yourself, like that you think is like, is, you know, is, um, I, I guess kind of says everything that they want. They think you think they want you to hear mm -hmm. um, and is kind of like, um, is more removed from who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And I think the temptation is to be more of, the right-hand side, which is the corporate version, and you think you'll get more offers that way. Um, and I think, like, when people say be yourself, I think what they're saying is be closer to the truer version of you, because when you go through the process and you get an offer, you know that that firm wants you for you, and they know that you've been yourself, you know that you've relaxed a bit during the process, you know that they, you, they have seen more of you than the other firms have, and you know that they're giving you an offer because that's who they want you to be. Absolutely. And then you're not walking in, I guess, first day, an entirely new person. Mm. <laughs> Carla, was that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think whatever you put in your application, it needs to be something that you can talk to at the end of the day. Um, it's, it, this is it's your career. You know, you want to be able to be your authentic self at work every single day. So get off on the right foot and you know, only put in your application the things that are true to you and that, you know, you want people to know about you. But I guess it's kind of easier just to say, be yourself with all of the things that you've just said. So, saves a lot of time, doesn't it? So any students listening out there? Be yourself. yourself. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I guess fast forwarding a little bit further, um, you've gone through the clerkship process, you are fortunate enough to get an offer and you're a clerk at HSF. Um, we know students are interested in training and development and I personally would uh, like, um, I'd love to know a little bit more about this about walking in and not feeling like you're perhaps thrown absolutely in the deep end. So um, I guess we might go James first from the actual kind of programs that are in place and then Carla to your experience of them. But how does HSF go about training and development within the clerkship? Sure, it's a combination of formal and informal. So formal there is um, ongoing training where you get to learn about the different practice groups. Uh, there's training in terms of induction when you come on board. Um, there is any training session that is organized um, for the grads during that time period. You can attend uh, every two weeks. We get an email from the learning and development team with different sessions that are happening. And that could be, say, a, a partner speaking about a specific like area in the law. And anyone can attend that. Um, and then the informal is the things that happen on the job. Um, so you might be sitting in a specific practice group and that might be you working with your coach, you know, who might be the senior associate to kind of um, work through something. They might be teaching you how to do something specific that way. Yeah, I think 
I always found people and I still continue to find people to be very, very generous with their time um, in that respect. So as long as I'm asking the question, you know, what could I have done differently or, you know, why did you make that particular change with that piece of work that I gave you? I just I've never encountered someone who wasn't willing to explain. And um, in addition to those formal training sessions that James mentioned, that kind of feedback is um, really, really important and it's invaluable Um, I'd also add as well, um, in an informal sense, I think listening to what was going on around me when I was in the office as a clerk, uh, it's super, super important to see how a team interacts with each other. You get a lot out of it. Um, So picking up on like concepts and strategies that I might not necessarily be working on or be involved on in in any capacity, um, but I'm introduced to those concepts and strategies just by being around those conversations. Mm. So yeah, you get a lot out of that. Yeah, and I know you've, you've mentioned in the past, but especially when it comes to applying for a clerkship and understanding how a clerkship works, there is, it can be quite a high pressure environment to be able to understand not only how the application process works, but then also hearing about what you do at a firm. So really knowing that that safety net is there, that you can work with other people, that you can collaborate with not only members of your team, but other teams, and that you also get training on top. I think that's definitely sorely needed words of comfort for potential clerkship applicants. And kind of going along this train of thought, we know that clerkships can be inherently competitive in nature, but they're certainly not the final step in one's career into commercial law by any means. And something I want to ask the both of you is how can our listeners take potential setbacks in their stride and explore this broader field of commercial law without a clerkship? So I might go to James first and then Carla. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it is a really tough time um, because there's so much going on. And the, the thing that we have to keep in mind as law firms is that the for a student applying for a clerkship the rest of their life doesn't stop like they've still got work they've still got uni Mm -hmm. um, they've still got all the other commitments and on top of that we're asking people for lots of events at that time all the other firms are asking for events at that time too Um, Mm -hmm. so it's really important that we keep that in mind respect students time Um, I think acknowledge that you know lots of students who are going through the process at the same time are likely to speak to each other sometimes that doesn't always create like like a um that you, you know all that kind of information and gossip doesn't always help the the situation either um i think one of the things that we kind of acknowledged last year especially during lockdown in, in sydney was that um we need to be able to offer students more help and for students who are interviewing with us we offered them all an opportunity to meet with one of our mental health champions for a chat um so we've got a mental health yeah we've got a mental health champion program which is um people who volunteer to be almost like mental health first aid officers um and get training on how to handle one of those conversations and um and and you you know just providing a network of people to speak to so that we can start to normalize these conversations and it doesn't become like a stigma like people like should be able to feel comfortable to say i'm not feeling okay today um, and having more people who are trained in that and having more people who understand that kind of help us achieve that goal. Especially coming from the perspective of a student and coming out of the COVID lockdown and how many other things can happen in a, in a year, it's really, really comforting to know that not only is that a focus, but students actually offer the chance to take you up on that. I think that's, that's really, really amazing. Carla, how about you? I think, you know, clerkships are just absolutely not the be all and end all like it might feel like it at a certain time but it's just not really the truth that you need to do a clerkship in order to be a commercial lawyer um I think as uni students keeping an eye out for you know paralegal and legal assistant positions at commercial law firms or businesses that have in-house legal counsel and getting involved in professional societies and committees that organize networking events and mentoring opportunities um, you know, thinking about how you can build your network in a way that's not necessarily tied to having a job. Um, mm. That's that's the advice that I would give. Definitely. And I think especially those roles still offer a wealth of insight, which I think can be particularly underrated, especially when it comes to exploring the field of commercial law. So I think those are really, really valuable. Now, as we wrap up today's podcast, can you tell us 
one thing you wish you had done earlier in your career and one thing you are grateful for actually happening? And I'll throw this out to the crowd and see who responds first. I think one thing I wish I'd done earlier is learnt not to be hesitant about, you know, seizing opportunities when they come along or hesitant about, you know, creating opportunities for myself, um, you know, applying for an international secondment, um, putting my hand up to do pro bono work, getting involved in the multiculturalism network. You know, sometimes you just need to go for it. Um, think about it to an extent, but don't overthink about it. Um, and then one thing I'm grateful for, this is going to sound so cheesy. We're here but for it. We're here for it. Look, studying at Macquarie University is probably the thing that I am most grateful for. I really enjoyed my time at uni. I did. I had great lecturers and tutors. I have fantastic friends that I met through uni. And I don't know, my degree was just a really good blend of theory and practice. So I feel like I've been set up quite comfortably in the early stages of my career. I can see the smirks. No, I love I love hearing that. I absolutely love hearing it because I feel like, I mean, I haven't finished it yet, but I feel like my experience has definitely been the same. I've met, you know, my, my, my best friends from first year law camp and then you you go all the way through so absolutely absolutely I agree with that one and I think as a very necessary disclaimer I did not make her say that just for all our listeners <laughs> who may approach me afterwards I promise there was no nothing going on there talk, talk, talk about playing to your audience huh <laughs> not my intention but it worked out that way I can't help being honest I swear James uh, how about you sure so one thing I'm grateful for happening um, is that I, about nine years ago, I made a, um, a decision that was related to my career, but not entirely career motivated to move from London to Australia. Oh. Uh, and I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. And I'm really grateful that I'm still here and that that decision turned out to be um, a, a fantastic decision. Um, and then one thing I wish I'd done earlier is um, talking about playing to your crowd, I guess. One thing I wish I'd done earlier is probably uh, get a hold of one of those uh, Mulls Macquarie law hoodies. They look really good on the Instagram page. So. Oh, our marketing director, Josh, would be so happy to hear that. He, um, this, this year's been our biggest year ever um, by, I think, a lot triple triple the amount of the previous record he's done an incredible job and I still to this day my my personal favorite in terms of the marketing mm. campaign was there was um the meme of the three spider-mans pointing at each yeah, other yeah still my favorite absolute favorite thing about it I nearly got all colors I should have next time around once again to save my own backside I did not make him say this. Yeah. This was not my intention at all, but once again, it happened to work out that way. James, Carla, thank you so, so much for generously giving up your time to join us today. Navigating this process is, is difficult to say the least. So all these insights and guidance are not only invaluable, but they're definitely comforting to those who are applying for a clerkship at HSF, but also for people like me who have no idea where they wanna go and are still kind of understanding what the different pathways are. So thank you both so, so much, truly. Thanks. It was our pleasure.